My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Good morning, everybody. Who is ready to be finished with Nahum? (laughs) I have enjoyed it. And uh, at the same time, I finished uh, today's lesson when, Jules? Monday, Tuesday, I think? Way early this week. And uh, Julie told me I was a much happier person this week uh, because I was not steeping in this all week long. So uh, I'm excited to uh, have been able to do this, but uh, also excited to uh, move to uh, a new text. So if you've got your Bibles, open up to Nahum. Uh, we'll read through the three chapters there, uh, and then we will talk about verses uh, 10 through, actually 8 through 19. I think that's what we got through 7 last week. So yes, you have a long handout, but it's okay. It's just words. Morning, Lynn. How are you, sir? Good. All right, so last week, by way of introduction, I talked about Galatians and my dad uh, and how uh, there's a concept of sowing and reaping in the Bible. Uh, If you sow something, you will reap it. This is fundamentally the way things work. Uh, And I also wanted to to mention just one more time that when we talk about, uh, when we say phrases like, well, so-and-so got what they deserved, uh, maybe, but let's not leave God out of the equation, right? Because sometimes we can phrase things so that it sounds like karma, and that is not what we teach. We do not teach karma. We teach God's righteousness and justice and judgment uh, and love uh, throughout all these things. So, I want us to make sure that we keep that in mind as we go through texts like Nahum. So let's walk through Nahum 1 through 3, uh, and then we'll look at verses 8 through 19 of chapter 3. The burden against Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite. God is jealous, and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry, and dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither, and the flower of Lebanon wilts. The mountains quake before him, the hills melt, and the earth heaves at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation, and who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make an utter end of its place, and darkness will pursue his enemies. What do you conspire against the Lord? He will make an utter end of it. Affliction will not rise up a second time. For while tangled like thorns and while drunken like drunkards, they shall be devoured like stubble fully dried. From you comes forth one who plots evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. Thus says the Lord, though they are safe and likewise many, yet in this manner they will be cut down when he passes through. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. 
For now I will break off his yoke from you and burst your bonds apart. The Lord has given a command concerning you. Your name shall be perpetuated no longer. Out of the house of your gods I will cut off the carved image and the molded image. I will dig your grave, for you are vile. Behold on the mountains the feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace. O Judah, keep your appointed feasts. Perform your vows. For the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. He who scatters has come up before your face. Man the fort. Watch the road. Strengthen your flanks. Fortify your power mightily. For the Lord will restore the excellence of Jacob like the excellence of Israel. For the emptiers have emptied them out and ruined their vine branches. The shields of his mighty men are made red. The valiant men are in scarlet. The chariots come with flaming torches in the day of his preparation, and the spears are brandished. The chariots rage in the streets. They jostle one another in the broad roads. They seem like torches. They run like lightning. He remembers his nobles. They stumble in their walk. They make haste to her walls, and the defense is prepared. The gates of the rivers are open, and the palace is dissolved. It is decreed, she shall be led away captive. She shall be brought up, and her maidservants shall lead her as with the voice of doves, beating their breasts. Though Nineveh of old was like a pool of water, now they flee away. Halt, halt, they cry, but no one turns back. Take spoil of silver, take spoil of gold. There is no end of treasure or wealth of every desirable prize. She is empty, desolate, and waste. The heart melts and the knees shake. Much pain is in every side, and all their faces are drained of color. Where is the dwelling of the lions in the feeding place of the young lions, where the lion walked and the lioness and the lion's cub, and no one made them afraid? The lion tore in pieces enough for his cubs, killed for his lionesses, filled his caves with prey, and his dens with flesh. Behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. I will burn your chariots in smoke, and the sword shall devour your young lions. I will cut off your prey from the earth, and the voice of your messengers shall be heard no more. Woe to the bloody city. It is all full of lies and robbery. Its victim never departs. The noise of a whip and the noise of rattling wheels, of galloping horses, of clattering chariots. Horsemen charge with bright sword and glittering spear. There is a multitude of slain, a great number of bodies, countless corpses. They stumble over the corpses because of the multitude of harlotries of the seductive harlot, the mistress of sorceries who sells nations through her harlotries and families through her sorceries. Behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. I will cast abominable filth upon you, make you vile and make you a spectacle. It shall come to pass that all who look upon you will flee from you and say, Nineveh is laid waste. Who will bemoan her? Where shall I seek comforters for you? Are you no better than Noamon that was situated by the river, that had the waters around her, whose rampart was the sea, whose wall was the sea? Ethiopia and Egypt were her strength, and it was boundless. Put and Labim were your helpers, yet she was carried away. She went into captivity. Her young children also were dashed to pieces at the head of every street. They cast lots for her honorable men, and all her great men were bound in chains. You also will be drunk. You will be hidden. You also will seek refuge from the enemy. 
All your strongholds are fig trees with ripened figs. If they are shaken, they fall into the mouth of the eater. Surely your people in your midst are women. The gates of your land are wide open for your enemies. Fire shall devour the bars of your gates. Draw your water for the siege. Fortify your strongholds. Go into the clay and tread the mortar. Make strong the brick kiln. There the fire will devour you. The sword will cut you off. It will eat you up like a locust. Make yourself many like the locusts. Make yourself many like the swarming locusts. You have multiplied your merchants more than the stars of the heaven. The locust plunders and flies away. Your commanders are like swarming locusts, and your generals like great grasshoppers, which camp in the hedges on a cold day. When the sun rises, they flee away, and the place where they are is not known. Your shepherds slumber, O king of Assyria. Your nobles rest in the dust. Your people are scattered on the mountains, and no one gathers them. Your injury has no healing. Your wound is severe. All who hear news of you will clap their hands over you. For upon whom has not your wickedness passed continually? So I have a Bible trivia question for you. What kind of a sentence is that very last sentence in Nahum? You learned this in like third grade. It's a question, yes, very much so. Thank you, Skip. We're starting off easy this morning. There you go. Um, <clears throat> there's another book of the Bible that ends with a question. There's only one other that ends with a question. I'm going to let that hang until we get to that part at the very end of the lesson today. If you know it, shout it out. But you might not know it. So there's your Bible trivia for the day. Now, as is noted on the screen, today's lesson is rated R. Uh, so Micah, we're going to be going there today. All right? All right. The, uh, you have seen worse in movies, I am sure. Uh, but... This is where we are. So last week, we looked at the repeated words. We talked about Hebrew verbs. Everybody love that, the Hebrew verbs? Yes. It's a resounding. You're going, no. There's all the squirming of the seats, and everybody ties their shoelaces, right? Okay. We also looked at verses 1 through 7. Uh, and then today, we're going to pick up with uh, verses uh, 8 through 19. So if you want to follow along, you can look at the teacher notes at OurSundaySchool.com and go to the Read tab. Uh, click on the T next to today's date. Uh, and then... This is our picture about prophecy. So Nahum was prophesying, and there were some things that were going to happen very, very shortly in the future. You know, 30, 40, 50 years in the future, Assyria falls. But there's a lot of other things that are happening hundreds or even thousands of years later that he's talking about today, and we'll, we'll look at a few of those today. But the image that I want you to have as you go through today's lesson is this. So somebody tell me what this game is. It's chess, right? Uh, at the end of a game of chess, <clears throat> at the end of a game of what's the objective of the game of chess? Anybody know? Checkmate, checkmate right? And checkmate means what? No, nope. you've trapped the king, right? The king is in jeopardy, and the king has nowhere to move that is safe. And as you think about Nahum, this to me is the picture of Nahum is that all these kings of the earth are jockeying for power and position and authority, and at the end of the day, there will only be one king left standing, and his name is Yahweh. His name is not Ashurbanipal, who is the king of Assyria that we talk about today. So this is my mental picture of Nahum, uh, this idea that all these other kingdoms and kings will just be laid waste at the feet of the one 
who is actually sovereign and ruler over all. So I'm going to leave this up as we go through today's lesson, uh, and then here we go. So verse 8, are you better than Noaman? And some of your study Bibles may have a little note next to the Noaman. What city is this talking about? Does anybody know? Thebes, yes. You're like, Thebes? Where's Thebes? You got to see in geography like I did in high school. Awesome. It's in Egypt. Yes, it's in Egypt. Egyptian kings ruled in Thebes for a thousand years. Think about that. A thousand years. And then the Assyrians showed up. Once. And they took it. Like a thousand years is a really long time. I don't think we as Americans really relate well to a thousand years. I mean, a country is just a little over 200 years old, but multiply that times four, and that's how long they've been ruling in that specific city. An enemy shows up, the specific enemy, the Assyrians, and they take it. This city, uh, Thebes, is actually mentioned in Homer's Iliad as the city of a hundred gates. So the walls were so large Like the exterior wall of the city was so large, it had a hundred different points of entry and egress. You think about the the military might that would be required to defend that. I mean, that's just incredible. And the Assyrians came in and took it down. So Nahum is asking the Assyrians, are you any better than that city that you just took? And their answer would be what? Heck yeah, we are. We took it, right? Their kings are our servants now. We took their nobles back. They are our slaves. This is what he talks about the next couple of verses here. That sit, that sit, that uh, Noamon that was situated by the river. You, you see in the New King James that river is capitalized? That's the Nile River. That's the, the, the big river running through Egypt. It was right next to the Nile. It had waters around her whose rampart or trench or wall was the sea. It's a very safe uh, geographical thing to have. Whose wall was the sea? Ethiopia and Egypt. So these are uh, different parts of Egypt. This this specific word for Egypt covers all of Egypt. And Ethiopia, there is a specific component of it. Where her strength or her abundance, and it was boundless. I like this word for boundless. It's two Hebrew words are translated to get this one English word. The first Hebrew word means uh, it it has uh, nothing. It has no end. And the second is the border or an edge. So there was no border to how broad this Egyptian kingdom was. Put and Lubim, your translation may say Libya, actually, were your helpers. Yet she was carried away. She went into captivity. And they knew this. This This is Nahum teaching them their own Assyrian history, right? This is Assyrian history 101. They would have taught their children this. She was carried away. She went away into captivity. Her young children. Now, do you see how that word young children could be translated? The babe, young child, infants. Her infants also were dashed to pieces. Who did that? The Assyrians did. Right. The Assyrians did. And you see the the pu'al, that bold? We talked about that the last couple of weeks. Those are these intensive verbs, these very... Uh, passionate, lots of intensity associated with these. So this is not just we murdered them. This was, this was dashing into pieces little infants. I mean, this is evil wickedness on a grand scale. 
They did this at the head of every street. This was not a one central location. This happened all throughout Assyria. They cast lots for her honorable men. So you go into a city and you capture that city and you bring away slaves. So picture the slaves being brought back and the mighty honorable men cast, being cast lots for them by the Assyrians. I want this one to serve in my house. I want this one to serve in my house. I want this one to serve in my house. They took the Egyptian leaders and they just they became slaves. And all her great men were bound in chains. You will also be drunk. Now, do you remember back in chapter 2? We talked about this drunkenness of uh, them drinking the wrath. Uh, and this concept of drinking in the Bible is many times a picture of the wrath of God. So you, you fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, Father, you know, let this cup pass from me, this cup of God's wrath towards sin and sinners. And there wasn't another way. The only way to deal with the cup of God's wrath was for it to be poured out on Jesus Christ on the cross once and for all to deal with our sin. And we say to that, that is fantastic. And Nahum is throwing it in their face and saying, you will be drunk. You will be hidden. You will also seek really passionately refuge. You will try to find a stronghold. And we've seen this word stronghold before. It was back in chapter 1, verse 7, describing our God. Right? The Lord is a stronghold. And he's saying, you're going to seek someplace safe to go, and it's not going to be found for you. Seek someplace safe to go from the enemy. Verse 12, all your strongholds. This is a different word for stronghold. This is like a, a, a more of a, a fenced-in place. Are fig trees with ripened figs. If they are shaken, they fall. So I want to... Uh, does anybody have a fig tree? Does anybody own a fig tree? Just started asking first. You ever seen a fig tree? Yes? All right. uh, do you like figs? I, I'm not a fig fan. So I'm, I have a feeling as often as they are mentioned in the Bible that they're going to show up at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So we, we'll probably have a good taste for them at that point, but I'm, I'm not an overly big fig fan. Uh, it's like the messy... You're sticky at the end of it, right? I mean, why would I want to be sticky at the end of... It's just... <sighs> In the pack, right? In the pack. You, it's hard to get one out without... It's like, ugh. I just, I just need to stop. All right. When, you're, when your wife heckles you from the back of the room, you move on, right? Yes, absolutely. All right. So if you've never seen or harvested figs before, figs, when they are fully ripe, are incredibly easy to harvest. You can literally walk up to a fig tree and bump your fist against a branch and all the figs will fall down. Like it is shockingly simple to harvest, right? Revelation chapter 6 talks about, uh, this is the, I think it's the vials or the bowls, it's vials or bowls, of wrath coming down and the stars from the heavens will fall out of the sky like figs from a ripened fig branch, right? So, so what the strongholds of Assyria are going to fall here. And you can imagine reading this if you're the Assyrian and hearing this if you're the Assyrian. And this is at the height of their power, right? Back in, uh, earlier in, in chapter 1 or 2 in Nahum, it talks about though they are many, they are strong right now. So you your height of your power. You just knocked over Egypt. You've got Babylon in submission. They're sending you tax every year, right? The kings of Israel are your vassals. 
Everywhere you can look or travel to, you have conquered, and you're telling me that my strongholds are going to fall like ripened figs. Challenge, right? I mean, the Asher Paul is throwing the challenge flag here at this point, but uh, I don't believe this, right? And not just fall, but fall into the mouth of the eater, of the one who's going to consume or devour or dine on them. And this makes me think about, you remember the lions from chapter 2? The lion language where they're going to devour their prey? This is the same type of a language back here in chapter 3 that these fig trees are going to, these figs are going to fall into the, the mouths of the devourers. They're going to be devoured up. So verse 13, surely, oh, stick to figures of speech. That was good. That was, I like that, Dave. It was very good. <clears throat> he had fig in figures in quotes, too, for those of you that were wondering. There you go. Grown appropriately, yes. All right, verse 13. Surely your people in your midst or in the, the, around there are women. Now, um, let's talk about this for a second. Uh, is this insulting? To, is, the first, is the first part of verse 13 insulting today? You don't think? That's right. For those of you that work in a uh, large corporate culture, would you say this is the fast track to promotion? No, not at all, right? Here, he is insulting them. Who is in their midst? Their army is in their midst. He's calling their army women, right? Verse 13, the gates of your land are wide open. Now, when you have attackers come in, want to take your city, is that the appropriate time to open the gates? Let's open the gates! Like, no. <laughs> no, not at all. You saw Braveheart, right? You closed the gates, and then men spend their entire lives trying to open the gates, right? And it's a horrible, horrible process. So the gates of your land are wide open. They, have, they are ungirded. They are, uh, they have, they have, they are vented, right, for your enemies to come in. Fire shall devour the bars of your gates. And this would have been hard to imagine for them. These massive, massive gates. Verse 14, draw your water for the siege. Now, if you wanted to take an ancient city, you did not just walk up to it, knock on the door, and say, would you please leave, right? This is not the way this happened. You would take a multi-pronged approach. First thing that you would do is you would try to cut off all water supplies, right? Because if you do not have water, you are not going to live very long. This is just fundamentals. You're going to cut off all water supplies. You're going to stop all trade so nothing gets in and out, so you can't get any additional resources. And then you're going to start bombarding the walls from as far away distance as you possibly can. Over, through, or under, you've got to get through those walls somehow. So when they stopped up the water for the siege, this would not have been a real problem for Nineveh because Nineveh had vast wells inside the city. The city was so big, they had multiple wells inside the city. The problem is that those wells were supplied by the river that the Babylonians would eventually dam up not very far up the road, which is going to cause havoc for your wells over a very short period of time. So that's what they did. So he says, draw water for the siege. So get ready to be bombarded. Fortify or hold fast or repair your strongholds. Go into the clay and tread the mortar. Make strong the brick kiln. And you may think, like, what is make strong the brick kiln? All right. So all of these defenses, they didn't, uh, they didn't make them out of concrete, right? They made them out of brick. 
So they're saying go in and make sure that all of your defenses are shored up. There's no gaps, there's no holes, there's no problems. Also make sure that the things that you're using to get water out of the ground, everything is working like it's supposed to because you're about to have a problem. So verse 15, there the fire will devour. This is the same word back in verse 13. It's going to eat you up. The sword will cut you off. It will eat you up like a locust. And, and here begins our, our locust language. And I, I think I told you last week that the Hebrew language has 10 different words for locust. They hated them so much. They had all these different views that they could take. This one is very similar to a caterpillar. So they're going to eat you up like a caterpillar. So has any, does anybody garden? You have a garden? Yeah. Caterpillar's your friend? Depends on which kind, right? Are there some caterpillars that just eat and eat and eat and you, just, you need to deal with them? Yep, okay. So they're going to eat you up like a caterpillar. Make yourself many like the locust. So he's, he's insulting them and saying, you've got you to multiply. You've got to have a whole lot of folks. Make yourself many like a swarming locust. So this is a different, this is a grasshopper here. Now, what you can't hear and I unfortunately can't pronounce for you is the Hebrew. The Hebrew, the, the words used in verse 15 Actually, the second part of verse 15. Do you see in your handout that there's a big gap in the middle of verse 15? Uh, the, the English translators of our Bibles, there's a really unfortunate verse break there. In the, there's, there's not a verse break in the middle of verse 15. There really should be because it's two different stanzas that break in the middle of a verse. And you kind of would think that they'd have put the verse break where the stanza break was, but they didn't. So that's why it's, it's a big gap there. So this stanza has got all this locust language, but this part of it, the make yourself many like the locust, make yourself many like the swarming locust, is repetition of two Hebrew words, two Hebrew letters, that when you say them with a certain cadence, sounds like locust sounds. So Nahum is using words that sound like the thing he's describing, which is really, really good poetry, right? It's incredible. He's a really good poet. All right, verse 16, you have multiplied, you have made many, you have, uh, have stored up your merchants, specifically this is probably spice merchants, uh, more than the stars of heaven, the locust, this is the same word used twice in 15, this is the caterpillar, plunders, he pulls off, he strips off, he, he spoils, and he flies away. Your commanders, those that are crowned, are like swarming locusts like grasshoppers, and your generals or your captains, like great grasshoppers, which camp in the hedges on a cold day. Now, if you, if you know much about locusts, if you've ever studied locusts or you've ever seen locusts, locusts do not like cold weather. They're not real big on cold weather. Locusts burrow down and huddle up and cocoon in in cold weather. And then when the sun comes out, Verse 17, when the sun rises, they flee away. And they flee away with intensity. And this, he's saying that they're nobles. They're, those that are crowned, those that are captains, are going to hedge up and then flee away. This is insulting. So he's taken their political uh, and their military leaders, and he's insulted them. And the place where they are is not known. Now, why would the political and the military leaders fly away? Why would they run? Yeah, they want to save their lives, right? They're scared. Okay, I'll read you a quote from uh, Matthew Henry. God can cut off the spirit of princes and take away their heart. You may not have ever thought about this before, but the, the intensity and the passion that we bring to a thing 
sometimes is a direct result of God putting that in our hearts. Of God saying, I'm going to give you a passion, a desire to do this thing. And if he can give a passion and a desire, he can take a passion and a desire away. So these that have this passion and desire for political and military leadership, he's taken this away. They are now scared. And what do scared people do? They run and they flee and they try to protect themselves. And the place where they are is not known. So they've, they've scattered. Verse 18, your shepherds slumber. They're sleeping, O king of Assyria. Your nobles rest. And the, the word here for rest is, you see the, in the New King James, in the dust are all in italics. The word here for the, the word rest is, uh, we think this is a, a death, to remain at rest. Your people are scattered on the mountains. And no one gathers them. No one heaps them up or takes them up or assembles them together. Your injury has no healing. Now, if you have an injury that has no healing, you kind of have two options, right? You can just suffer in pain for the rest of your life for this injury, or you can what? You can die. So if you have an injury with no healing, this is not a hugely popular place to be no matter what. Your wound is severe. So this wound is your, this strike or this, uh, this beating that you took is severe. And all who hear news or the report of you will clap their hands. I don't, I don't know the last time you heard news and you're like, yes, that's awesome. Like, what was the last piece of news that you heard that literally made you clap your hands? Like, that's not a normal response. I would agree. This is spectacularly good news. Dave, what was the last news that you heard that made you clap your hands? Yes! Woo! That's right. That's fantastic. Congratulations, Ms. Bethany. Well done. Well done. Um, yes, very much so. I think so. Um, they had that kind of rejoicing. That All the nations of the world had that kind of rejoicing when Assyria fell, when news of Assyria fell. And why would they say that? Why would they do that? The answer is real easy. They yeah, they were awful. It's like parties broke out all over the world when Hitler went down because Hitler was a bad guy, right? We rejoice at the downfall of the evil. This is, this is normal human behavior. All who hear news of you will clap their hands over you. For upon whom has not your wickedness passed? Now I want you to flip back to Nahum 1.11. Nahum 1.11. In Nahum 1.11 is the same word wicked. This is the... the Nahum 1 is really talking about the divine warrior, that the, this position that the Lord holds. For from you comes forth one who plots evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. And he talks about how these are going to be cut down, and there's no one that can stand. The same idea... For upon whom has not come your wickedness? So your wickedness has been put on, but Nahum's already addressed who's going to deal with wickedness one day, which is really nice. So upon whom has not your wickedness passed continually? This is just perpetually. All right, so I'm going to come back, and I'm going to ask my Bible trivia question again. Some of you undoubtedly Googled it and cheated. Anybody Google it and cheated? Yes, I got two. All right, Day, what's the answer? Jonah, yes. All right. The bonus round. Here we go. You ready? 
I'm going to put you on the spot. The bonus round. Who was Jonah a missionary to? You want to phone a friend? Sure. Who, who, who wants to help? Dave, you want to help? Nineveh. The same people, right? God leaves them with a question, which I think is a really interesting way to communicate, right? All right. I'm getting hot. So, um, have you ever seen a movie, Miss Darla, with a question? A movie with a question, yeah. You have? What's a movie with a question? Yes, there's a few questions in Our Brother Where Art Thou. Is anybody else thinking of a different movie with a question? Maybe The Matrix? Yes, maybe The Matrix. You've never seen The Matrix? So, um, all right. <laughs> so I've, I've been reading so much sarcasm in Nahum's writings that I just couldn't resist today, okay? I just, can you see, right? I just couldn't resist. So the shirt that I'm wearing, Miss Darley, is from The Matrix. It's where a character named Morpheus, uh, who understands and has a bigger perspective on things, knows what's going on, and he offers Neo a red pill or a blue pill. And the red pill, he will understand further what things are about. And the blue pill, all of this stuff's going to come to an end. And Neo takes which pill? The red pill goes down the rabbit hole. The blue pill stops everything. Which pill does he take? He takes the red pill. Yes, he takes the red pill. And he begins to understand and know. And the interesting thing that I think about these questions at the end of Jonah and Nineveh are that God is asking Nineveh a question. He's trying to get them to see their wickedness, to see that they have a problem. And in Jonah, he offers them an opportunity, right? There is still a chance to pick the red pill. And in Nineveh, later in Nahum, is there an opportunity? Did you hear any opportunity? There was a question at the end, but the question was, who have you not hacked off? Like literally and figuratively, right? This is awful. That was awful. That was a really bad joke. Sorry. That was not intentional in any way, shape, or form. There's no opportunity in Nahum. You see that? And Nahum, compared with Jonah, is one of the places in the Old Testament that we begin to see this idea that there is a point to which wickedness can accrue and there is no longer hope or opportunity. And this is, we talk about a terrifyingly scary place to be. Like that is a terrifyingly scary place to be. All right, so application, what's the point? Kind of over the whole book almost. We'll stretch our arms wide. Our arms. Did you catch it? Nice. <clears throat> that was for you, Grant, because you were watching. All right. The, uh, the application number one, the judgment of the wicked and the protection of the righteous will occur. Did you hear this in, in Nahum? Like, this is going to happen. All right, so what do we do with that? You may see a theme to the personalizations. Uh, number one, praise God for his faithfulness to his word and to his people. God does not abandon his people, right? If you have a good day, God does not abandon his people. If you have a bad day... God does not abandon his people. If you have a good life, God does not abandon his people. If you have a bad life, like some people are going to have misery and suffering their entire lives, and if they are children of God, God will not abandon his people. 
Uh, Matthew Henry says this about Nahum. Let each take his portion from it. Let sinners read it and tremble, and let saints read it and triumph. And Darla, I think this is partly why you like Nahum just a little bit, because God will be the one king standing at the end of all things, and we can have confidence and assurance in this. All right, application number two. God is rightly and actively working uh, toward justice. I'm going to scratch the word toward. I don't like that. I'm going to put out. He is rightly and actively working out justice. So personalization number two, praise God for his faithfulness to his holiness and to universal justice. See, his holiness and his justice, are they're running down the same tracks. It's a beautiful thing. Here's a quote for you from McGee, J. Vernon. God is going to judge Nineveh. And the question arises, is he right in doing it? Is he right in doing it? Yes. Nahum will say that Nahum is not only right in doing it, but he is also good when he does it. That's a tough one. Like that's a, that's a challenging statement. All right, application number three. God uses individuals and nations for his purposes. So praise God for his sovereignty and his application of redemption. Sorry, I can't help but quote Grudem every once in a while. He sneaks in on me. Another quote from J. Vernon. He says, Assyria had served God's purpose and is now to be destroyed. He will knock over the kingdoms of the world that need it. Application number four, God and God alone will righteously judge. I don't know how many of you have ever had any experiences with the criminal justice system, uh, but the one that we have is flawed. It is not perfect. Would you agree? Do, do you work in the criminal, like a component? You, where do you work? A correctional facility, right? And you have seen uh, challenges and problems, right? Absolutely. We have a God who does not make mistakes when he judges or mistakes when he sentences or mistakes when he carries out the sentence. That is wonderfully comforting to the believer. So number four, praise God for his unique position of righteous judge. There is no other righteous judge on the planet, never has been, never will be. It is God and God alone. One last quote from J. Vernon. You can look around today at the many injustices in our world, but God is, is doing something about them. God is just and righteous. He was a God of love, even when he destroyed Nineveh and wiped it clean like a dish. It disappeared off the face of the map and off the face of the earth, and God took full responsibility for its judgment. That's hard. But it's a comforting truth to the believer that my God will do right. He will be just. He will execute justice flawlessly. And that is good. And that's why I think Nahum starts in chapter 1 with this divine warrior that is good and just and righteous and jealous for his people. That's how he starts. He starts the message with, I am jealous for my people. And he is still jealous today. So that is uh, the book of Nahum. I am glad that we went through Nahum. And I am so, so excited that next week, for our 47th year in a row, uh, Miss Amy uh, is going to be speaking to us. Uh, the text is uh, somewhere around Psalm 139 and Ephesians 6. It's, 
there'll be some old there'll be some Old Testament, there'll be some New Testament. So there's that. Uh, but she's our annual Mother's Day speaker, so I'm excited about that. And then the following week, uh, we start our series in Third John. So if you want to get started reading Third John, you can probably read it a thousand times between now and then. That would be very easy to do. So. Uh, thank you for coming to Sunday School today. The weekly update is on the table. Make sure you shared your prayer request, got your name at the bottom, and then after you have prayed as a group, you are dismissed. Thanks for coming today, guys. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.